This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Friday, October 22nd. Coming up, we continue our series on housing with a conversation on how one Kansas City woman beat her landlord in court. Plus, the costs and benefits of buying property in this economy. But first, some headlines. Missouri Governor Mike Parson is escalating attacks against a St. Louis newspaper journalist who alerted the state that a Missouri website exposed teachers' social security numbers. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter discovered the numbers in the HTML code of a public website and agreed to hold off on publishing the story while the state fixed the security hole. Parsons Political Action Committee Uniting Missouri published a video on Wednesday accusing the reporter of hacking into the state site. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch is purely playing politics. Exploiting private information is a squalid excuse for journalism. The Missouri Independent reports state Democrats have continued to question Parsons' estimate that fixing the website's flaws will cost $50 million. The Federal Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has fined prison banking service JPay $6 million for improperly charging customers. Missouri and Kansas contract with the service as a way for people to send money to people in state prisons. Wanda Bertram of the research and advocacy group Prison Policy Initiative says families often have few choices in how to send money to incarcerated loved ones. It's just part of a larger pattern that we know is going on in this country of private companies profiting off of people's misery behind bars. The federal government says JPay misled almost 200,000 people about the fees they would pay using the service. JPay told The Washington Post it will do better in the future. Earlier this week, a Kansas City woman won a lawsuit against her landlord who was trying to evict her. That's not something that happens very often, according to KCUR reporter and editor Dan Margulies, who covered that case as part of our series on housing in Kansas City. He's here in the studio to tell me more. Hi, Dan. Hey, Nomade. So why did the landlord try to evict this tenant? Well, he claimed she hadn't paid her rent in months, uh, told me when I spoke to him on the phone, that she owed him more than $1,000, later revised that to $4,000. She categorically denied that, and indeed, she introduced rental receipts during the uh, trial before the judge, uh, uh, showing she had made the payments in timely fashion, and that's what the judge found. Most likely, this landlord was trying to get rid of her because she complained frequently about the extensive electrical and plumbing problems she'd encountered at the rental house. And why did the tenant fight back? Well, she fought back, no mean, because as she told me, she knew she was in the right and she knew she would win. It looks like he was counting on her not to show up in court. Indeed, uh, court records show he's taken numerous tenants to court over the years and won default judgments against many of them because they failed to show up. What did the judge rule? So the judge did something, no mean, that you rarely see in these kinds of landlord-tenant disputes. The judge not only found that Sabrina Davis, the tenant, was wrongfully evicted, she awarded just about all the rent that Davis had paid until Winters locked her out of the house, and she awarded her attorney's fees. Rent and attorney's fees both came to around $17,000. And the judge made a bunch of findings suggesting the house was unfit for habitation, including finding all these electrical problems that uh, the tenant 
uh, Miss Davis had complained of. And Winters is the landlord, right? Dana K. Winters is the name of the landlord. Okay. Yes. So how did the landlord find out about the judge's ruling? Right. Well, he actually found out from me. I got hold of him uh, at his home uh, on the phone on Wednesday, and it appeared he was unaware of the judge's ruling. And when I informed him of what the judge had found, he called it a lie and told me he was going to appeal. And um, it was, suffice to say, not an entirely pleasant conversation, no mean. In fact, he turned quite belligerent at times, demanding to know who was paying me. And he denied categorically that there were any issues, electrical or otherwise, at the house and pointed out to me that he had a family uh, that lived there previously for 10 years and didn't file any complaints. Why is this case unusual? How common is it for, for tenants to win lawsuits against their landlords? Well, I would say the case is unusual, no mean, for several reasons. As I said a moment ago, it's rare for tenants to win these cases simply because so many of them don't have the wherewithal to hire an attorney and, con and contest these cases. It's even rarer for a judge to find the rental unit's condition so egregious that she orders the landlord to pay back the rent the tenant paid. Why was this tenant able to sue her landlord? Well, as I said, the landlord actually sued her, but she countersued seeking damages under the Missouri Merchandising Practices Act, which is a consumer protection law that allows aggrieved Missouri consumers who have been misled when making a purchase to sue to recover their losses. In your story, you mention that local advocacy group, Casey Tenants, is, mm -hmm. was involved in this right. case. Can you talk a little bit about their involvement? They helped Sabrina Davis out in the case. They provided advice. She, uh, you know, she was very transparent with me that she has become an active member of this grassroots organization. Uh, they were only established a few years ago, and they've been very active, uh, as we have reported extensively, in trying to reform uh, landlord-tenant laws and redress the imbalance that exists between landlords and tenants. What does this mean for future legal disputes between tenants and landlords? Well, it demonstrates that tenants do have options if they're sued for eviction, but of course those options assume that they can obtain legal representation. And as I said, most tenants don't have legal representation and aren't able to do that. And I'll point out to you, Nomeen, that in the course of doing the story, I came across a report by the ACLU that came out last year that said that 90% of landlords are represented by counsel in eviction cases, but fewer than 10% of tenants are. It's not that surprising because many tenants face eviction because of unforeseen financial circumstances or financial stress that prevents them from being able to afford their rent, let alone legal representation. And other tenants simply lack the ability to go to court due to employment, childcare, transportation issues, that kind of thing. And it's just a fact that any defenses that are available to a tenant are virtually impossible to prove without a lawyer. I, I want to point out that some cities, including New York, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Baltimore, have enacted right to counsel laws for tenants in eviction proceedings. And those laws have been hugely effective in dramatically lowering eviction rates. 
So the story came out a couple of days ago. What has the response been from readers? Well, I've gotten a ton of emails from tenants, not just here in Kansas City, but from all over the country, asking me to write about their case. Obviously, that's not going to be possible. Uh, one of these uh, emailers said, oh, mine is a three-part series, she said, and it really ought to be uh, taken up by Netflix. Well, we'll see if... Uh, that ever happens. Unfortunately, we at KCUR have no control over uh, what stories Netflix chooses to cover. Unfortunately not. <laughs> well, Dan Margulies is a reporter and editor here at KCUR. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Nomi. We'll be right back after a message from our supporters. UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, takes the time to understand your history, goals, and priorities. UMB tailors financial planning services and resources to help you accumulate, preserve, and protect your wealth for whatever life throws your way. It's all about establishing a customized plan for you so you can focus on the important parts of life, like spending time with family and friends, pursuing your passions, or building a career. Feel confident about your future at UMB Private Wealth Management. Everything we do starts with you. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. If you're in the market to buy a house right now, times are tough. High demand and limited supply have left some wondering if they can ever really own a home. On KCUR's Up to Date, Steve Kraske spoke with financial advisor David Jackson of Modern Horizons Wealth Advisors and wealth advisor Nolan Keim of Mariner Wealth Advisors on the pros and cons of owning a home. Nolan, what is the status of the current Kansas City real estate market? It's been going crazy, like really all other parts of the U.S. Um, Casey in particular, the home prices are up double digits the last two years, uh, which is astounding because really haven't seen that growth here in Kansas City specifically over the long haul. Um, just you know, throw out a number, a, a research study by the NORAD Real Estate Group here in KC, uh, values have gone up 17% over the past year, and Zillow predicts they'll rise another 11.2 in the next year. So there are really no signs of slowing down in terms of just the the overall Kansas City real estate market. So I guess that suggests, David, that these bidding wars that we keep hearing about and these scrambles, people paying over asking price for homes, that's going to continue because prices are up and supply is low. Yeah, it's just a simple, uh, simple equation of supply and demand. And uh, there's just a lack of inventory that goes all the way back to uh, the 2008 financial crisis that sunk so many uh, small businesses and uh, developers and all. And so they haven't been able to keep pace. And then with these lower low interest rates and then the results of COVID making people reassess their living conditions, it's just a lot of movement, but not nearly enough inventory to keep up with. Nolan, how long are homes on the market these days? What are the stats uh, telling you about that right now? Yeah, it looks like right around 18 days. Um, over the past year, it's down about 54% from the year prior. My wife and I just bought a house almost two years ago now. And you know, it was on the market for less than a week. And I think it's even, you know, gotten gotten even you know shorter since then, where it's, you know, it's next day, you see them you know, going up on the market and then taking them right down. How much of a scramble did you go through, Nolan, to get uh, to buy your house? How, how tough was it? It was it was a scramble. And I wouldn't say it's as, as hard as it is now. Um, but, you know, we were looking at, at houses at night, which made it tough because it's dark out. And, 
you really couldn't see, you know, the neighborhood, you couldn't see the backyard. So you really just had to, you know, get in and, and you know, act pretty quick because, you know, others were also looking at the same house. So I guess, uh, David, one question is if you're looking to take advantage and, and sell your home in this market, the question is going to be, where are you going to go? Yeah, that is the big question. And uh, it's interesting. I know a couple who uh, recently became empty nesters. You know, the uh, kids are off, all off to college or got their own jobs and they looked at their home and how much their home had appreciated. And they decided, well, let's go ahead and sell it now. We'll bank the money. And then they moved downtown. And, you know, they're renting for now, and then they'll reassess, you know, should we buy something down here or go back out to the burbs and buy a house down the road? But, you know, there's, right now they're just banking the money. I you think know, a lot of people are thinking that way. It just strikes me, David, this is a time of tremendous opportunity. It's also a time of tremendous heartbreak because so many young folks simply can't get into a house that they'd like to be in. Yeah, and that's true, too, because uh, I, I've talked to couples who've uh, – you know, said they they made offers on like 10, 12 different homes and, you know, got got outbid each time. So, well, let's talk. Uh, David Jackson has raised this question of buying versus renting. Uh, no one. Let's talk about the pros of buying a house right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking looking backwards, the, the big one, the big two really were, you know, buying a home, you build equity really as as an asset, as an investable asset. And, and, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, if you buy a home for X dollars and you, you live in it for you know, 5, 10, 15 years and that value of the home increases, um, really the, the increase there is your equity, um, which allows you to have opportunities down the road um, as that increases. And then um, with that, you know, putting money towards equity in your home is basically a forced way of saving for your future, um, which is one of the, the main pros in my mind, because, you know, you really have to you have to pay that mortgage um, which is again going towards your equity which is a forced way of, of saving for your future and then um, buying an appreciated asset is another pro um, because you know over the long haul you should expect your home prices to increase um, you know we don't know that for sure no one has a crystal ball but uh, over the long haul that that is you know uh, something you should expect and then more control over your property you know you don't have your, your landlords um, you know saying that you can do this you can't do that you really can um, have have basically full control over what you do there. And then tax benefits. Um, those are minimizing nowadays with the standard deduction increasing, but there are tax benefits with own, owning a home as well. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking to Nolan Keim and David Jackson on Up to Date. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Dan's story, plus more articles in our series on Kansas City housing, visit our website, kcur.org. As always, you can hear Kansas City's NPR station on the radio at 89.3 FM. If you like Kansas City Today, why not give us a call and tell us? Our number is 816-235-8930. Leave us a voicemail letting us know what you think about the show and how we can better serve you. You can also leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. On Monday, we'll fill you in on a few local elections happening this fall. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.